0: If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. Listeners of The Organic View can receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases, by simply using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website for your chance to win one of our cool prizes. For more information, please visit www.TheOrganicView.com forward slash contest. Today, I'll be speaking to Dr. Thomas Cooper. He wrote a book called Fast Media, Media Fast, How to Clear Your Mind and Invigorate Your Life in an Age of Media Overload. When it comes to prescription drugs, the government requires all sorts of testing to make sure they're safe when it comes to media, there are no safety measures or limitations whatsoever, regardless of the addictive nature of media. Virtually everyone is dependent upon some variation of media, whether it be TV, radio, news outlets, uh, talk shows such as this of course, uh, social media etc they're simply are um, no precautions and no rules. For the most part unless you live in a cave it's very difficult to avoid exposure. Mass media clearly influences everything in our life including the economy. When negative rumors spread about commodities investors react drastically even in politics once the rumor mill spews out information about a particular candidate people react, markets react The media clearly has a solid effect on people's emotions and, in turn, our finances. This is true regardless of what the reality may be. Social media also presents a unique assortment of emotional issues basically due to the fact that the activity can be very addictive. For example, last year Twitter was down for several hours due to maintenance, affecting over 100 million people websites that monitor monitor social media site activity began to pop up to reassure users that the sites have not closed shop and perhaps it's just a temporary block that's actually enforced by the social media site upon the user for being, quote, too active, uh, which basically gave way to the term Twitter jail. Um, And I myself can tell you I've been in Twitter jail many times and it, it's actually not such a bad thing cause it really forces you to take a break away from twitter but that's something we're going to talk about in a little bit now with facebook facebook is notorious for generating a whole flu of emotional problems simply because of the attachment users give to such things as how many followers or likes they've scored in one day to, to great discomfort when people are unable to quote check in updates or not being able to respond for an extended period of time. While people may be engaging socially on these sites, they are not interacting with one another in person and face-to-face. This is not only unhealthy, but it makes us as humans become disconnected. So how exactly can you set limitations? What can be done to constructively utilize media to create thoughts? as opposed to just being a consumer of information. I'd like to welcome Dr. Thomas Cooper to the show, and we're going to be talking about media overload. Dr. Cooper is an award-winning professor of visual and media arts at Boston's Emerson College. He previously taught at Harvard University where he also received his BA. A former assistant to Marshall McLuhan, he is the co-founder and co-publisher of Media Ethics Magazine. So I'd like to welcome Doctor Thomas Cooper to the show.
1: Hey, thank you very much. What a great intro. Appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome Doctor Cooper. Thank uh, you, Jean. I I personally thought your book was just magnificent and um it's interesting. Last year I went through a period of time where I shut I disconnected the T V service in my home uh while I would have loved to have disconnected the internet and the phone, um I I needed the phone and the internet for work but the tv i just have I really to this day don't have a use for T V and it was very interesting. My family, um and I know that uh many <laughs> there are many my uh many friends and family that tune into the show, uh but they can tell you, um they thought that my decision was uh, a, a bit ridiculous because their concern was well, uh, especially after 9/11. Well, what are you going to do if there's some type of uh, disaster, or how are you going to find out about traffic and you know the weather, this and that? And honestly, I didn't really care. I didn't want to hear about the news. I didn't want to hear about anything that was on TV. I don't watch TV. I have no desire to watch reality TV because I have my own reality and furthermore it's so depressing and it it was just interesting that you know they felt that I was just being very extreme by just shutting it all down
1: Oh, June actually what you're doing is very normal and many many people react to overload whatever the stimulus is in the same way Um, you'd be surprised how many other people have told me they either let go of TV for a while or the Internet or Facebook, or they just felt overstimulated. And they felt the need to maybe go to nature for a weekend, go on a retreat, go on a boat trip, um, anything but more stimulation. And sometimes it's longer than that. Uh, some people actually get rid of their TV and find, just as you did, nothing essential is there. And so they'll let go of it for life or for six months or whatever it takes. Others will do the same with another medium. It's amazing how we've convinced ourselves that absolutely everything we have is essential. However, like cleaning out our attic, often when we get rid of certain things that we thought I could never let go of, we don't even miss them a few weeks later.
0: Yeah, it is very interesting how our society has become more dependent upon media in whichever form uh you choose, but kids as young as 3 years old have these little uh, these little electronic devices And, you know, uh, it's very addicting.
1: Absolutely, June. Let me give you a little data on that. Right now our overall media consumption has gone up 350% in the last 30 years. We adults are consuming over five hours of TV a day, four hours of Internet. About three-fifths of us consume more than one medium at the same time. Maybe the TV's on in the background. or uh, We're in a restaurant and one thing is playing and something else We're holding in our hands. Um, Children have 45 hours per week with media, and only 17 hours with parents, and 30 hours in school. So media is becoming the great educator too. 110 commercials per day per average U.S. child. That's 400,000 commercials per year, and children see over 200,000 acts of violence by the time they're 18. These are simulated acts, but for them, they can't always tell the difference between reality and simulation. So it's a stunning change that our society is witnessing and experiencing.
0: It's interesting. You made a comment in your book that in Sweden they actually do not allow commercials during, uh, is it during the daytime or is, is there any set period of time when they're not allowed to show the commercials?
1: It's before the age of 12 because they know that children Um, can't distinguish always between commercials and programming. Now, we know that, too, intuitively. We often have our own children come to us and say something that they assume is true, and, in fact, it was just an ad. So we know that, too, but we don't have the same protections in place. Many countries are more careful than we are. On the other hand, we're more careful than some countries.
0: Yeah, that's a a very good point. Uh, But with TV, it's interesting. Even with all of... The uh, efforts that have been made for videos, uh, for video games rather, Uh, even with music, the ratings that, the rating systems that they have in place, it's still a little bit too much. And as you pointed out, with commercials, uh, there are some commercials that are really kind of funny, but then there are commercials that really don't belong on TV, especially during the daytime, Uh, and sometimes... I found that when I'm watching TV, and this is one of the reasons why I stopped watching TV, some of the commercials, especially during the daytime, are just—I I can't believe that they have this on the air.
1: Right, and many of the messages that are given are varied and different, but for the most part, there are some consistent messages that children hear all of the time that we hear as well. One of the most pervasive is "there's something wrong with you, buy something." That's the primary message behind. All advertising. The primary message of news, even though there are many exceptions to this, is there's something wrong in the world. Be afraid or panic or, you know, what can we do? Um, The primary message of entertainment, even though it has many messages, and a lot of them are how to laugh and so forth, but in most of the dramas now it's be promiscuous or it's follow your bliss. And so if you're to do a content analysis of Virtually all media it's basically giving children the same three or four messages, which are not particularly the messages parents want them to have.
0: One of the things that I thought was very interesting, uh especially after nine eleven uh my nephew, who was staying with me at the time, um, his grandfather works for the fire department he's um a captain and he has been down to the firehouse so many times, and after nine eleven when they had when they were showing footage of all the different firemen uh that that had blood on them that were just you know filled with uh smoke and debris and whatnot, my nephew was horrified, and I remember uh just thinking to myself, "We can't have the t v on because anybody who resembled a fireman." he thought automatically that was his grandfather and that basically sent a very very strong message to me that tv can be really
1: dangerous absolutely we call that emotional poisoning actually and often during nine eleven or something like that we wonder why the media is recycling the same devastating images again and again and again and children will often be primary recipients we used to have what we call the nuclear family but now the statistics show that more people are living together who are not married than who are. That happened for the first time just a few years ago. We have far more parents who are single parents who are so career-driven they have very little time for their children. We have so many parents now who are abusive, who are alcoholic, who are – et cetera. All those numbers have gone up. So the number of children who have great primary care against those images and people who can interpret and explain and educate them about the media – the percentage of those children has gone down, so they're often in very vulnerable situations with the media,
0: and especially when it comes to politics. I know many people when uh, when it's election time. It, it's amazing how they have the radio on, they have the TV on. There is there's just no break from the constant updates and. Personally, I found that I was listening to talk radio morning, noon, and night, and I had my favorites. I'm not going to say who because uh, they're not my favorites anymore, but <laughs> at the time, I was listening to uh, certain talk show hosts just to get d- different opinions and find out, okay, well, how can I prepare for any type of necessary changes that may affect my business, that may affect me as a person uh and I was just trying to get information wherever I could but I realized looking back that a lot of the information that was disseminated was also done for dramatic effect to get ratings and it I, I just was so irritated with myself at the fact that I, I got sucked into the whole thing and it's just interesting now I'm very careful with what I listen to, um, and I try to get as many opinions as possible, especially when it does come to politics, because there's so many different opinions out there. And the media is very clever at pushing their own agenda, but it it can be very devastating.
1: I appreciate the points you're making. I do want to make it clear that I personally am not a media basher. For example, we're using the media now, and you're helping people think, you're trying to increase their health. You're doing a lot of things that are very positively motivated. And there are a number of other people in the media with integrity, with high intentions, who are actually seeking, even if they're entertaining, to make people laugh in a great, deep, you know, belly laugh way rather than just snickering. So there's educational media. There's inspirational media. So I'm sure you and I would both agree that we're not going to spend an hour totally trashing the media for being trash, but that we <laughs> we we see a a wholesome and a positive and an educational side to it on the other hand having said all that and having made it clear that our approach is balanced we want to make it very certain that the statistics indicate that the slash flash trash for cash culture is growing in the media the predominant media is not educational the predominant viewership we have a much higher rate of increase of pornography right now a much higher increase of violent media uh, right now the average child has seen 200,000 acts of violence prior to the age of 18. And so what does that do to the national psyche, no matter how many positive images are coming out? For example, the average adult now spends three years of his or her life watching television advertising. That's not television, that's television advertising. Three years of a person's life, it'll soon be four. What's that doing to our consciousness, to our values, to our way of seeing each other in the world?
0: Well, I think what it is doing is we're disconnecting not only from one another, but we're disconnecting from our entire environment. Uh, Just this past weekend on Sunday, I kept away from the computer, I kept away from phones, I kept away from everything, and I spent about five five solid hours doing very hard physical work in my garden, and I felt like a million bucks. I mean, I was a little sore from uh, doing all the the lifting and whatnot, but I Mm -hmm. felt emotionally wonderful, and uh, just being able to get out in my garden and do the things that I enjoy, it was just refreshing.
1: Well, that's the whole point of the book fast, media, media, fast. It's what else could you be doing? Gardening is very creative. There used to be a saying, if you want to be happy for a day, get drunk. If you want to be happy for a week, get married. If you want to be happy for life, take up gardening. So there are all kinds of things like gardening, like that instrument we always wanted to play, like painting, like exercise, like bonding with other people. Relationships are often breaking down. Uh, Like volunteering for charity work like becoming politically active all of those things that used to be a sign of a flourishing society are beginning to wither as we spend more and more hours of our day just consuming all that other stuff from gardening to i mean you name it raising your grades if you're a student generating more income being a blessing or a kindness to other people maybe even to pets and plants all of those things begin to wither as we withdraw our attention from the real world to as you've called it the reality TV world?
0: I think the one point that people should keep in mind is when you're talking about media it's kind of like food there's fast food and there's an expression good food isn't fast and fast food isn't good but uh, just like food there's media, and then there's kind of the fast food media. And it's interesting how much of the junk media there is that surrounds us, whether it's a magazine or an e-magazine, to the reality shows, which I just really can't understand why people spend so much time watching reality shows when their own life is a reality show. And everybody's got problems. Everybody's got positives. Everybody's got negatives. uh everyone has some sort of drama in their life at some point. It's our nature. Well
1: well put, June. And one of the points of the book Fast Media, Media Fast is that people can take a media diet, which is very different than a media fast, Mm. and, and go in the direction that you're talking about. They can cut out just the junk media in their world if they want to, not all of the media. Maybe the seven hours of guilty pleasure a day that a person consumes as opposed to the one or two hours of really inspirational or educational or critical. By critical, I mean if a blizzard's coming, you want to have your media on to know when and how much, or a hurricane's coming. I mean, the media can save lives. But cutting out that junk food sometimes for many people is really valuable. It creates more space in your day, helps you have a clear mind, hear yourself think, and then you begin to see what you really want to do.
0: Well, I think, as I was saying before with the junk food analogy, it's just like with, with media. I guess it boils down to your choices of what you're exposing yourself to. And is it something that really benefits you, or is it something that is actually contributing to stress? And one of the points that you made just before, that uh, you could be doing something else like generating revenue. Uh, I had a friend the other day that made a comment. He just started a new business, and he was saying, you know, I haven't been using any of the social media tools. I haven't been emailing anybody or calling anybody because I'm so consumed getting my business going that I just don't have the time, and he said to me that he felt really relieved because he's actually doing something that is bringing him joy and is actually making him happy as opposed to dealing with all sorts of drama that uh exists in social media and also you know just with the whole uh emailing and phone calls and this and that it's just very draining and part of having a business or starting a business you should start a business if it's something that you love And this is the reason why he started his business, and he felt so bogged down because all he was doing was taking care of things that really were not going to help his business uh, get to the next level.
1: Right. And this kind of anxiety that you're talking about or frustration or so forth that we peel, there's actually been a name put on that by an author named Richard Werman. He wrote a book called, information anxiety that describes all of the feelings that we now have about being unable to keep up with all the media that's around us being overstimulated, um, being burned out uh, having a sense that you know the latest platform is eluding me, that I won't have time to be trained on this before that takes over, um, that all the faxes and emails and voicemails and Twitters, tweets, everything that come at me um, will never be properly digested. And not only that, by the way, there's more coming, and everything's going to change. Your entertainment center is never big enough. There's always the next wave, and your handheld will be obsolete in three months. And so, how do you possibly, well, there's a name for that, information anxiety, many aspects of it. The question is, how can we give ourselves the centeredness, the balanced peace of mind, to say, wait a minute, I was fine before all this came along. I'll be fine after all of it goes. I don't necessarily need to be driven by the maelstrom of change that's going on in society.
0: When it comes to society itself, one of the biggest problems in society is actually communication. So be that as it may, how can we actually determine which forms of media are really necessary to our existence as opposed to things that might be entertaining or just may um, enable us to reach more people, what have you.
1: You know, with food, you often can tell after you go on a diet or a cleanse or a fast or whatever, you have a much more selective sense of what you really need to be nourished. Your body often tells you when you're no longer addicted to whatever, caffeine or sugar or certain things, You can actually feel the real emotions of your body, and you can tell, hey, that food, you know, really had a positive impact. I got energy out of it, but without any artificial side effects. I find the same is true with media, that if I take a week to pull back from it, to abstain, to kind of clear my consciousness, I can come back and say, hmm, this feels very different. That one over there feels like a lot of noise. That one over there feels recycled, stuff I've already heard. This one over here, something interesting. So we have our own Geiger counters, but we just find that they get fogged up, so to speak, when we can't, in fact, hear ourselves think anymore due to the overload.
0: And speaking of overload, it's interesting how it doesn't matter what you listen to or who it's coming from. It seems as though the overload really has helped shape the opinions of many people to the point where, as you pointed out in your book, people no longer think for themselves. They basically hear something and then they just parrot. Absolutely. And that's a big problem because it, it basically makes the public out to be nothing more than blind sheep that are just being led by anybody that has the ability or the charisma and the ability to manipulate them to do so and that has been something that has happened throughout history why is that why do people do that
1: well first of all june i want to point out again that you're trying to help us think so not all media are brainwashing us but i i get the point and i do write about it there's a whole chapter about that in the book whether or not we can think whether we can think originally so let's first start with that part of it and then i'll come to the second part the first part i'll ask my students How many of you have strong opinions about Obama? They'll all throw up their hands. How many of you have strong opinions about Lady Gaga? They'll all throw up their hands. How many of you have strong opinions about Bin Laden? They'll all throw up their hands. Then I'll say, how many of you have actually spent eight hours with any one of these three people off camera, unedited? None of them will throw up their hands. So we're living in an artificial, dreamlike, simulated world where we all talk with great conviction about things that we know absolutely nothing firsthand, and that we may not have researched in depth from several points of view. And so what we've succeeded in doing is creating a work in a world in which there isn't thinking anymore. You're told what to think about this and that, and when the topic comes up, we all retrieve it. We all have opinions about whether Casey Anthony is innocent or guilty. But none of us were on the jury. none of us know all the privileged and none of us for the most part. Or judges, you know, a small percentage of society who really know the law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, drop a dime and immediately in a barbershop or wherever you are, drop a dime, drop a topic, and immediately everybody will chime in with what exactly should happen as if we're all instant authorities on everything. So I think one of the first challenges we have is to realize what thinking is and how opinion is very different and how recycled intravenously fed ideas from the environment are very different. The things that we get from the environment that are electronically stimulated basically substitute for actual knowledge, research, thinking, wisdom in our society. And that's a challenge. So I ask my students, have any of you had an original thought? How would you get there? What do you do? How do you tell what's valuable and so forth? And over time, when people go on a media fast, they begin to discern those things just like what Thoreau did when he went to Walden. He deliberately went to another location so he could hear himself think. He wrote Walden at a place apart from all the gossip and society of his day, and he found that he could transcend and come up with a different perspective. Now, if you go to Walden, I went recently, there were two people texting each other there. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a geographical Walden mm. that we're seeking anymore, but it's the same idea of transcending the social gossip of our day which is really what the media is in a place inside a walden within where we can begin to purify all the junk that's in our consciousness all the kind of emotional poisoning we were talking about and finally come come up with well who's underneath all this programming and that's the real question of a media faster diet how do you come back to your own self who am i underneath all this constantly swimming around stuff in our consciousness And what do I want to do with my life ultimately? Do I want to die with consumed 1,000 episodes of Survivor on my tombstone? Is that what I really want there? Or do I want my tombstone made a difference, helped other people, was a force for awakening or a force for change, saved lives, whatever whatever we'd really want to have there. How do we do that?
0: So how can an individual actually, um, I I guess, experience, what you refer to as freedom of thought.
1: Well, there's a whole chapter of that in the book and and there are a lot of questions. Constantly questioning things makes you come to a point of freedom. And I think one of the first things to do is to pull back and look at our own consciousness and say, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Where did that thought come from? And begin to actually monitor who's inside. That of itself is liberating realizing we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions, we're not our programming. Now, there are a lot of other ways to come up with freedom of thought. and The book has a long list of questions that students can begin to think about and answer and so forth. Having dialogue with other creative people is one way you can free your thinking. Constantly questioning your own assumptions is one way that you can come up with free, free thinking. And another one is doing something creative, taking up a new hobby, a new vocation or whatever else, Forces you to think in other ways. One of the things that
0: I think really confuses people is they are saturated with information that, as you pointed out before, uh, is spun by different outlets and kind of, you know, they, these outlets bombard the public. How are people? How would you recommend that people begin to formulate their opinions uh, and determine what is actually a value and what is something that is, for the most part, hearsay or uh, somebody's opinion or even something that's just not a value, to put it nicely?
1: Well, well, that's that's a, a great question. And within my field, usually there are levels of expertise that you trust For example, if a student is going to quote from a text about, you know, the cure for cancer or whatever else, they're probably not going to quote from someone who drives a taxi and just has an occasional interest in cancer. They're probably going to quote from someone who's put many years into the laboratory, who has degrees on that topic, who's done serious science in that area, who knows what's worked and hasn't worked and so forth. Well, why wouldn't that be the same for any other area? where we want to think. Do we want the opinion of a five-year-old about, you know, what's great art or something like that? It might be interesting to think about, but usually we go to people who've spent most of their lives really generating a reputation for being deeply insightful and deeply knowledgeable about that topic. The Wikipedia universe takes that away from us. When people go for instant gratification or knowledge on Wikipedia, it probably isn't an expert. It could be, and sometimes it is, it may not have been tested and retested, and you know. And so I'm not picking on Wikipedia. It's fun. It's useful to a point. But we have all kinds of things now parading as knowledge and substituting which haven't stood up to rigorous testing. We wouldn't drive a car that hadn't met rigorous testing. We wouldn't take a drug that hadn't been rigorously tested, And yet we'll often imbibe in media without even considering what the effects of it might be.
0: That's actually one of the reasons why I decided to create this show, because I had so many people that uh, during my lectures would come up to me and ask me all sorts of questions. And I'm not going to claim that I'm an expert on any particular subject, and I would seek out people who were. And I spent so much time doing research, communicating and connecting with people that are experts in whatever given field that they work in and connecting them that I just felt that there were so many people out there who really wanted to gain the knowledge from the people who had devoted their lives or a significant amount of time to a particular subject, just as you mentioned before. And it's interesting. More and more people, I think that there is a very big uh, division that's taking place where people are tired. People don't want to hear all the superficial junk. They want something that's going to enrich their lives. So if they are going to take time away from their family to say uh, watch a TV program or uh, just do something, they want it to be enriching. And I know myself, I have a pretty strong rule when I'm around uh, younger members of my family no video games, no nothing. Uh, If we're watching a movie, it's limited. I don't want to see games. It doesn't matter what it is. Even cell phones. I I get really irritated when I'm out with friends or family, and the cell phone goes off. Because I, I I don't spend as much time as I'd like to, and I feel that that is my time. And my time is very valuable, especially the precious time that I have with friends and family, that... I don't want you know I don't want any of that. it can wait. There's nothing that is going to happen that is going to be life altering that can't wait until you know my time with them has finished
1: well put, and I understand by the way, there are chapters in the book about no media zones like the Amish. the Amish actually put their telephones down at the end of the road so they can use them if there's an emergency, but they don't want the ringing. To interrupt their conversations in their life, they appreciate stillness, and that's the way some of us are about cell phones now. Um, it's funny; 30 years ago, we would have felt the same way the Irish did, uh, the Amish did, if there was ringing, you know, constantly. Or 80 years ago, when the telephone first came in, that ringing seemed like an interruption. Over time, we're kind of beaten down and we're forced to accept things. So we'll stop mid-sentence to take a ring, whether it's something in our pocket or a landline these days it all changes but good for you and other people who have kind of the integrity to say there should be stillness in our life there should be peace and quiet there should be time when we're focused on other people there should be the ability to actually care about the responses that other people give rather than picking up a handheld and start to see if we have messages midway through their sentence
0: i think it's actually rude I think it shows poor upbringing and just lack of respect for other people. And when I hear cell phones go off in places such as in church or uh, it doesn't matter where it is, I, I just think it is very rude. And granted, there are people that will just simply forget to shut it off. But when I would lecture, I would remind my audience, please take your cell phones off and please shut them off uh sure. and i'm notorious i would stop if somebody's cell phone was ringing and wait for them to shut it off which would completely humiliate them of course but you know my time is very precious and i want the people who are interested in the content to get the information that they're that they're taking their time as their busy schedule to get not have somebody uh just uh, have no consideration for anybody else. And the same thing with movies. It's one of the reasons why I stopped going to movies because cell phones would ring constantly. And who wants to pay $15 for a movie? And that's what it is here in New York. And uh, sit through a movie and then you find that, okay, the person next to you, their cell phone is going off. Or if you're at a restaurant. And one of the things that I absolutely still can't get over is when I'm at a trade show or some type of an event, And if you're in, well, being a lady, uh, if you're in the ladies' room and you hear the cell phones going off, it's like it's amazing. People, (laughs) people just don't care. They will answer the cell phone at any given point, and I, I think we've just grown as a society. We've tolerated things that we really should not tolerate, and I think that it it just shows a lack of. Respect once again, for other people when you allow that type of behavior to take place, and I don't care what the reason is. there's no phone call that is that important if it is something where it is a matter of life and death, then you know so be it, then put it on vibrate or something so that it's not going to disrupt anyone else that is in that particular environment, but unfortunately, people don't think like that they just they either forget or they just are. They don't see why it's such a big deal. And it's interesting, in New York, if you take the railroad, um, like the Long Island Railroad, if somebody's on the, their cell phone in the morning when everybody's making the uh, the trip into Manhattan for the day and you see people sleeping, <laughs> every so often you'll get somebody that will say, could you please knock it off or could you please keep, you know, Get off the phone, I don't want to hear about all your plans and this and that, and every so often it does happen, and it's kind of amusing but um I mean, there have been some people that have said that they would actually go so go so far as to buy one of those devices that would block all signals, but I think that that's a little extraneous and if there is an emergency, that would not be a good thing,
1: right, June, yeah, you know, everything's a double edge. For example, the Amish won't hear about a nuclear meltdown without media, so you don't want to go to the extreme of not having media that could save your life and so forth. On the other hand, you can walk into an Amish home and hear people singing together, playing games together, whatever, in a way that you just wouldn't hear. In our culture, you'd go into a suburban home and one room would be a lot of sports, another room would be a lot of music, another room the door would be closed because somebody's got porn, and they don't want the rest of the family to know about it, although people tend to find out. And in another room, two people are screaming at each other. That's a fairly typical suburban home that I've been into. There are a lot of exceptions to that, but people tend to be fragmented now into their own mediated cultures and their own addictions, whereas in some cultures and societies, they're what you'd like, more stillness, more ability to think. More ability to communicate with other people. Now, I'm not worshipping the Amish. There's a chapter in the book about cultures that have no media, and it shows they have a downside and an upside. There's another chapter in the book that talks about people who have low media, which is different than no media, maybe one TV, one newspaper. That has advantages and disadvantages, too. And the same with our society. There are great advantages to constantly knowing whether it will be a blizzard tomorrow or a hurricane or whatever else that many societies don't have. There are also great advantages to being able to read all philosophies, all cultures in the world, having all information at our fingertips, all education. That's a tremendous thing to offer our children and others. But we've just been talking about a huge downside as well. So there's no perfect culture or society, and maybe the key, and this is what I came up to when I wrote the last chapter, is knowing when to have media and when not to have it, what to have and what not to have, when to speed up, when to slow down. That's really the formula, is understanding what's appropriate when, what the fitness of things is, and how we stay balanced, never giving it up entirely, but never becoming dependent upon it.
0: And we have a comment from Twitter that I just want to mention, and this is coming from Jacqueline Leapart, her uh, idea of black dreams. And she wrote, Sometimes I feel that my Twitter family is sometimes more understanding than real family and then she also added I don't know if it's purposeful but you pick the people you follow on Twitter because they are similar to you and they like to talk about the things that you like now that's a very interesting comment and I'm sure that there are many people listening that feel the same way I mean uh, my family does not share the same opinion that I do about a lot of things, actually. I think they think that I'm nuts for the most part, but that's, you know, they love and accept me just as I am. But they know that I'm very strongly opinionated, and uh, sometimes they just kind of, you know, let me be because they know I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And I think many people, especially with social media, that's one of the reasons why social media, I think, is as addicting as it is, is because you're connecting with people, all over the globe that whether it's you have an interest, the same interest in gardening or you like to play chess or you happen to enjoy the same music, doesn't matter what it is, but people are engaging because they like to interact. It's just that they don't have the type of people that they would like to interact with close by.
1: So absolutely you're building community in lots of ways with media and we began by saying there's always a double edge there's always positive and a negative you can meet people you'd never meet online you can create communities and so forth around causes and raise money for those causes and do good work for other people in ways you could never do without the media all of that's great but the downside is what happens when that family you create turns out two of them are sexual predators they've been pretending to be part of your family but, in fact, they're 70-year-old dirty old men who are trying to seduce some of the more, you know, sexually active, according to the reports in the chat room. In other words, we have a lot of things going on in the Internet, too, that are the shadow side of life, mm-hmm. that by virtue of the fact you never see the person, so forth and so on, they can be lying up their sleeve about everything they're saying, and they may have nothing in common with you just looking for something, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's, you know, time to fill in their life because they're bored. So there's an upside and a downside.
0: Well, I think one of the things that people can do in regards to that very subject, and it's a very big concern, is the way that you use some of these tools. Um, For example, I wound up reconnecting my TV, and now if I do watch TV, it's basically to get a weather update, maybe a traffic update, Uh, or if I need some type of information that's local. Uh, Otherwise, to be perfectly honest, I don't have any use for my TV. Uh, When it comes to social media tools, I engage with people that are like-minded, that are looking for information. And um, I'm highly ranked on Twitter. I'm in the 98th percentile globally. So a lot of people do pay attention to what I say, and that's because the information that I'm putting out there is factual. I'm not there putting out information that's basically propaganda in nature. I'm getting information that's directly from the source, and people understand that I'm not looking to just um, uh, stir stir the beehive, so to speak. Uh, and yeah. You know, Uh, People don't like what I have to say. It's very simple. They don't have to follow me. But um, considering my presence, a lot of people do. But having said that, I think what you can do if you are either a business owner, an activist, or somebody that enjoys some of the benefits of social media, limit yourself. And I usually tell other colleagues that if you do anything – uh, try to limit it to no more than 20 minutes a day. I mean, I see people that are on Facebook morning, noon, and night, and it's basically because I have and my email, I can see all the messages that they're posting and all the different things that they're saying. And I just wonder, how is it that they're able to not only generate any money to live on, but how do they function? I mean, if you're if you're on Facebook from early in the morning to late at night, what kind of what kind of quality of life do you have?
1: And what kind of physique do you have? Yeah, the concerned. physique is a
0: very big problem because most people will forego exercise, physical exercise, to hang out on Facebook. And I just think it's ridiculous. Or they will go on Facebook when they're at the gym. And it's like, you know, put your cell phone in the locker, leave it in the car, do what you have to do, just get a mental cleanse.
1: Let me tell you the combined findings of all the studies of what's happening to people who are excessive in their media consumption at the age of 0 to 12 that I've just done. I've put together all these studies. It's not just obesity that's one of the side effects of that, but let me put this together. Now, this is not about all of us. This is about people with excessive consumption. The greater the excessive consumption of mainstream entertainment media, the higher the odds a child will become obese, ADD, alcohol or tobacco dependent, academically mediocre or poor, housebound, prematurely sexually active or pregnant, violent, or and distant, if not alienated, from parents and peers. So that's a huge change in society, those who have excessive consumption. So when you're doing a lot of Facebook or a lot of anything, you have all these hidden possibilities not everyone there are exceptions to everything but ultimately this is what the society's changing to to the degree to which we become super saturated
0: what if your job depends upon media and i'm not talking about social media i'm talking about paying attention to updates in the news say if you work in the financial arena mm-hmm. and you see it in movies all the time You see it with uh, people that work in the financial uh, sector, how they are really dependent upon all sorts of things, everything from weather reports to disasters, whether they're natural or Mm -hmm. uh, just wars. Because their, their job really depends upon what is going on in the world, and that really has a major influence on the markets. I mean, Absolutely. what do you do when your job is surrounded by media? And in order to basically be able to provide for yourself and your family, this is basically what you have to deal with. I mean, how can you limit yourself, especially if you're at this especially at this point in the game with the economy being so unstable with so many issues, whether it's politics, uh, the the issues that are going on overseas you know terrorism you name it any any given topic that affects your job
1: absolutely and you and i both have jobs like that i'm a professor of communication after all so i don't want to deceive people into thinking i take permanent media fast Um, and your job is dependent on media as well and many many other people those in public service and politics have to monitor what's going on in the world Uh, whether men have to read all kinds of instruments and get reports from it. So we understand that in this modern society and postmodern society, a great deal of media is necessary. The question is where you draw the line. Do you really need to be on the media 11 and a half hours a day, 9 hours a day, 7 hours a day? I mean, your job is 8 hours a day, and presumably you take meals and so forth and so on. So I'm not so concerned about the fact that many people are media-dependent in their job, as whether or not they're being creative about it or mindless about it. If you're the creator, you're going to be using that media in positive ways. You're going to be using that media research in positive ways. I've had many people who are involved in both finance and in the media take a media fast and go back to it healthier, more refreshed, using it, using it a great deal. So it's not so much the quantity as the attitude of whether or not you're the creator I mean, you can use a musical instrument to really change other people's lives, or you can simply absorb music all of your life. You can use television to wake somebody up to a great topic, or you can have on your grave, you know, watched a thousand episodes of Survivor. So (laughs) it's really a matter of what your identity is. If you're identified with a creator, you can use any medium, Um, you know, be it music, sculpture, uh, painting books uh and doing what you're doing, this is your medium, June, right? You know, and my medium right now is this book, so we can use our medium to reach other people, make them think, engage, bond with them, you know all of that's wonderful. It's when we vacate and let the media fill our mind as if we didn't have one that there's a problem.
0: One of the things that I have chosen to do is uh, for example, on my cell phone, I use my cell phone only really when i need to uh for the most part uh friends and family will call me and i tell them please call me don't email me i i just i don't want my family emailing me i mean they can pick up the phone and they can call me the same thing with friends it's interesting when it comes to the phone it took me 32 years to learn not to answer the phone i was 32 years old and i remember my brother said to me one day, he said, Why do you always have to answer the phone? He said, You're like a dog that's answering to Pavlov's bell and he said to me, You need there's nothing that's that important because I remember I had a friend that called and it was very late and I just happened to share this with my brother and he said, Stop answering the phone He said, After right now hour, don't answer the phone <laughs> And not only did I do that, but I took it to the next level. Now the phone could ring and ring and ring. And if I'm in the middle of doing something, I will continue doing what I need to do. When I have the time to pick up the phone, that's when I'll pick it up.
1: So the deeper lesson learned there, and we all have a version of this, is who's in charge, the media or us? Are they thinking our thoughts? Are they driving our calendar? Are they telling us when to stop what we're doing and pay attention to them? Or do we have some hope of authoring our own lives? That's really the whole point of the book, by the way, fast, media, media, fast. It's who's in charge here. And ultimately, when you take a media fast or a diet or you pull back in some way, you begin to regain your own power that you've given over to the telephone, as you're saying, or for that matter, to Facebook or TV or whatever it might happen to be.
0: And it's very interesting that people have a very difficult time. Now, you talk about a fast. How can people actually incorporate a media fast into their life, whether it's something that they can incorporate on a daily basis or even a weekly basis or something that they can just simply do once a month? Where where would you recommend that they begin?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The book actually talks totally about that. It talks about the difference between doing it as an individual, and doing it with your family, or doing it with your class. A lot of teachers are learning to do this sort of thing with their class, and the book explains that too. Or a group of seniors can do it, or you know, a church group, or um, synagogue group, or you know, whoever it might be, a civic group. There are a lot of different ways to do it. But once you decide what you want to do, the book explains that you set up ground rules and guidelines. In other words, you want to tell other people about what you're doing rather than seeming antisocial. They're saying tonight's the night we always go to the movie and you're basically pretending to be holier than thou by being on a media you don't want to do that. You don't want to alienate people. So there are steps that are explained uh, in each chapter about if you want to do this, if you want to take a practical media fast, these are the guidelines and the ground rules that you should take to make sure everybody else in your world will benefit from this rather than being alienated by you.
0: And that's that's an excellent point. I mean, alienation, especially of your family, is not something that's uh, going to help the matter. But uh, I I think my recommendation is that you try to, and as you uh, you pointed this out earlier, whether it's a hobby or just something where you are completely disconnected with anything to do with you know, the TV, the telephone, the computer, what have you, and actually do something where you're engaging in conversation or communication of some form with another human being. And I think dancing, even though I'm not a great dancer, I think dancing is a wonderful uh, activity. Um, Piano, music rather, Um, I play piano, and I find that that's very, very uh, emotionally freeing. And just spending time, whether it's walking to the park. Uh, I know in New York we have tons of concerts that are given throughout the summer for free at the parks, and they're actually really great. But it's just so nice to listen to live music and just sit, relax, and disconnect.
1: Yes. Yeah, I absolutely agree that 99% of life is unavailable to us, if we're spending ninety nine percent of our time on the same device whatever it is a handheld device or whatever all those things the concerts the areas to explore field trips restaurants i never go to little cultures little china you know chinatown little italy things in my own town that i never actually get around all those things i want to do and maybe those things i wanted to do as a child too i wanted to be this or i wanted to learn that i wanted to play this instrument all the unfulfilled parts of ourselves, just sit there and never get watered or fertilized if we're constantly consuming the same thing.
0: My last question for you is what career choices can college kids make that could actually help make people more aware of media addiction and media control?
1: Being a teacher is number one because your number one role as a teacher is making people think. But you can also do exactly what you're doing, being a producer, or a director of shows that come up with fresh angles on life, that bring guests on who are constantly different and thinking in new ways. All of that uh, is a good career path for students. But I also want to point out that even areas that look like they could be unhealthy as a career, often people can make a difference, can become a household word over time. Um, if they stay true to their vision. So sometimes you can take a career that looks like, I mean, people like Ted Turner, Spike Lee, all those people in the media, we would not have heard of them had they not stayed true to their own vision within the media. And there are a lot of people out there who have actually stayed true to their vision and changed a part of what they're doing. But if you don't want to take that risk of being, quote, a suit or being ordered around by other people all the time, then why not be something that's educationally stimulating, like having your own show the way you're doing it, or like being a teacher, someone who actually gets paid to engage in thinking and ask other people to think. That's a wonderful career. Well, thank you. (laughs) So
0: many compliments in one show. I need to have you back more often.
1: (laughs) Aren't you kind? I appreciate that.
0: And Dr. Cooper, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Everyone, we are out of time, but thank you so much for tuning in. And if you've missed the show, you can always subscribe to The Organic View on iTunes or visit our podcast archives at www.theorganicview.com. Have a great day, everyone.